Welcome to the Consultants Council podcast, a place for consulting industry guidance and best practice advisory. Whether you're working to grow in your consulting career, you're managing and developing a consulting firm, you're working with consultants, or you're just interested in business and high-performance advice, we've got recommendations and education for you. I'm Kelsey Kreveling, founder and CEO of Kelsey Consulting, a firm focused on building high-performing organizations, teams, and individuals through a variety of ventures, including the Consultants Council. I've spent my career at the intersection of technology and management consulting, working with organizations across the country to help solve their toughest challenges, while also supporting the growth and development of multiple consulting firms, helping them improve their long-term performance trajectory. In addition, I'm an entrepreneur across a few different industries and I serve as a startup investor and advisor, promoting the ideas of other entrepreneurs as they work to gain traction in their industries. With so many people gearing up to launch their own businesses and establish their own consulting practices, I wanna make available the advice and lessons I've learned along the way. This podcast is made possible by Kelsey Consulting with media support by Class Act Media. For more information, check out our site at theconsultantscouncil.com and kelsey.consulting. That's K-E-L-S-C dot consulting. And now, stay tuned for this episode's counseling, because the consulting world is full of nuances, and the answer is always, it depends. What's possible? Do more. Hey there, I'm Kelsey Kreveling with the Consultants Council podcast, and I am super thrilled for today's episode. It's going to be out of this world. Uh, Joining me is founder and CEO of Uplift Aerospace, a space company focused on bringing consumer access to space. Uh, You'll get to hear during this episode the specifics of what that really entails. Uh, It's pretty fascinating, but Uplift's actually a company that I've had the privilege of seeing grow over the past few years as an investor. So I met Josh at Kiln in Park City, Utah, co-working space, and had the opportunity to really get to learn about the company, what they were doing, uh, and get involved as um, an investor. So it's been an absolute privilege and thrill to see the company's growth trajectory and to see it evolve over time, but also to see Josh's evolution as a founder and entrepreneur. Uh, So this episode digs into Josh's experiences, his advice for others who are looking to follow a similar path of entrepreneurship, and to the lessons one will glean along the way. So with that, uh, enjoy. Hey there, and welcome to the Consultants Council podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. Joining me is Josh Haynes, founder uh, and CEO of Uplift Aerospace, a space company that is really on the precipice of doing something very unique and different in the space industry. I'll let Josh go into the specifics, but it's pretty exciting. So Josh, thanks for, for being here with me today. Uh, great to have you. Yeah, thank you, Kelsey. It's a privilege. I appreciate you taking the time to highlight Uplift and myself means a lot. So Uplift Aerospace was founded in 2019 uh, with the focus of 
being able to take advantage of a lot of the new technologies that have come to market over the last really 10 years. So think of SpaceX, Blue Origin, um, and you have basically beneath that this host of new startups that are innovating and creating with the help of NASA, really. So um, right now, the cost to get to space has gone down dramatically and the frequency has increased. So what that allows for is a lot of creative thinking in how should humanity, how should uh, new markets start engaging in this uh, new, new economy that's being created. And so Uplift is focused around uh, being able to provide logistical services and uh, mission testing research for more commercial companies um, and training around that. So we, we started in 2019 in doing really unique missions to space where we'd work with artists and brands, creators, and um, I, you know some of probably our more prominent ones are working with Blue Origin where we actually uh, researched how to bring paints into space, how to allow artists to create in space. And that turned out uh, was, you know, was probably one of my, my funnest, most like memorable projects we've worked on. Um, from there, we started stepping into a lot of training as a company. So um, over the last two years, we've developed a commercial astronaut training. Um, and we're gonna be sending our first astronaut to space uh, coming up shortly with on a Blue Origin New Shepard mission, which uh, we're all very excited about. But the I think the big revelation from that is um, we developed these mixed reality simulations and um, started supplementing in-person astronaut training with mixed reality and virtual reality. And our participants, our trainees, thought they were a lot of fun. And we saw the opportunity there was to start bringing that to students for outreach. And that's um, has been a big focus of ours, uh, I'd say over the last year and a half is um, doing outreach to students in schools with these virtual reality astronaut experiences. So that's a quick highlight of Uplift Aerospace and what we do. Um, it's definitely unique and different. Uh, it's something I love. My my background, you know, if you like getting into my background growing up and in, in university was heavily in space. So uh, that's a little bit about me and Uplift. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, Uplift is incredible. What you just surmised in just a few minutes is huge. I mean, each one of those different areas and focuses, I mean, we could speak on all day. Um, tell us about the artwork. Yeah, uh, so we the idea I think there is, uh, like I mentioned, a lot of people just don't know how to engage in space. So we, when you think of, this is taking a step back, I guess, but when you think of an economy, um, a lot of time it's actually geographically based um, and there's different types of markets that can come in. So whether, you know, it's technology, communications, and you're seeing the same thing happen in low earth orbit and beyond right now. And uh, we, we think uh, that we can start looking at that differently than traditional. Like it doesn't have to just be satellites. Uh, it can be creators, brands, artists. And I think you'll start seeing more traditional uh, types of employ employment skill sets coming into the aerospace industry. And that's why we reached out to artists and creators is we thought um, that they're the ones that really inspire people and open up dialogue and um, 
conversation. So we had the opportunity to work with this world-renowned artist. His name's Amawaka Buafo. And um, we worked with him to develop these very unique paints that and test them to be able to survive a journey into space where they he actually painted the exterior of the Blue Origin New Shepard rocket. When it went into space and came back, the panels deployed and they parachuted back down and we got to go with him out to to the uh, the launch site one desert, which is where um, the New Shepard rocket launches right now and find the panels after they came back from space. Um, there was a lot of really cool outreach and impact that happened from that too. Uh, it was, I think it was great, like branding opportunity got highlighted all over the world. So for the artist himself, you know, there's a lot of both, um, I think impact for good and then value impact that came of that too. Absolutely. Well, and you have also your Uplift for Good program. I mean, that I've really found fascinating that not only are you focusing on making a fundamental difference for how people perceive and engage in space, but you're also looking at it from a, a premise of how do we make an impact and how do we do good? Yeah, and I think that's a big shift right now that's happening in corporations is realizing that we have a responsibility um, to protect and conserve the earth, to um, look at where do we wanna be in 50 years and how can we make a profit while also ensuring that we're doing good for the world itself and for humanity. So that that is a big part. On, I mean, that's in, ingrained into our company, to who we are, to who I am. So that, I think that's why you see that, you know, like a very strong thread throughout what we do as a company. Josh, anyone who engages with you knows that, I mean, you just think differently than the, the general population. Uh, and what you've undertaken with Uplift is audacious and incredible and not something that, you know, people are even familiar with how to embark upon. How did you get to where Uplift was something you wanted to pursue? What took you in that path? Yeah, I think it started when I, partially when I was a kid. So just a fascination for technology and space. Always been a big space enthusiast. And then in college, I studied physics. Um, I did my research around quantum computing um, and uh, you know being able to look into from like a, the quantum level, um, how things operate, I think sort of got my brain thinking in that way. And then um, I actually sort of moved into something similar, which was um, nuclear thermal rockets. So how can we change how rocketry is done, how space travel is done? So I did my thesis on that as an undergraduate. And um, that was somewhat of a stepping stone. So was, I always knew I wanted to be involved in space. So I started a club in university for space entrepreneurship where we would talk about these new ideas of how you know how can we leverage what's happening in the aerospace industry with regards to reusability rapid launches like SpaceX is doing now to um, open up new markets and um, that, that led to a lot of fun projects but I think that was sort of like the foundation for me and, and then after university I, I did um, consulting, I helped build out missions from low earth orbit to Mars. 
but I, I always knew in the back of my head that if I wanted to be involved in aerospace, I needed to be able to run a business, needed to be able to raise money, understand how to work with teams. Um, and that's really hard to do in academia. Like you just don't get that type of experience. Um, so I was going to actually get my master's, but like a week or two before I moved to uh, Houston and started a private equity fund with my brother. <laughs> so it's like big 180 shift, but I had been thinking about it for many years is like on the back of my head, I knew, um, you know, I'd sit in my physics classes and there were these, these um, other students that were just brilliant where I would be like studying, reading the books, um, like laser focused on the teacher in class. The teacher would say something, write th something on the board. And I'd be like, I just spent like a week on this problem. The teacher just explained it and I still have no idea what is going on. And then there would be like another student sitting next to me who they'd raise their hand and just say the answer. And it, you know, that, kept reminding me those situations like, <clears throat> I love physics. I think it's a great foundation for um, being an entrepreneur. Honestly, like you learn how to think critically and how to see um, a problem and work through it in a way that finds a solution. Like that's how you're trained is in, in physics. So um, it was a great foundation for me, but I switched into, you know, having a private equity fund because I knew those were skills that um, would be needed to start my own company. And so that, that was the beginning of it. And then once I saw SpaceX, their technology and saw what Blue Origin was doing, uh, I knew it was time. So that's when I started up with Aerospace. Wow. So that's, yeah. I mean, that is just an unusual trajectory in of itself. Well, um, it's, um, you know what's crazy? So this is not uh, not putting me on any plane with anybody else. But if you look at a lot of um, entrepreneurs, they actually a lot are trained in heavy STEM subjects. And I think it is that critical thinking component where you see a lot of um, entrepreneurs, whether they're successful or not, uh, have a very technical background. And I, I honestly think critical thinking is one of the most undervalued or, or unspoken like skills that an entrepreneur needs when um, they're looking at starting up a business. It's because, because all you, all you are ever faced with is, is problems. Uh, you know, like as a CEO, as a startup, um, you are solely, all you focus on are problems. That's basically it is, Every day you're given a new problem and you have to figure out how to solve it. As a, so you, you better know. like problem solving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And find it fun and rewarding and interesting yeah. versus defeating. Yes. No, it's, I think that is um, one of the beauties of entrepreneurship is, is finding, um, finding joy in problem solving. <laughs> Absolutely. So being an entrepreneur, how did the venture experience really prepare you? You kind of touched on it, but are there specific skills or things that you learned when operating a fund 
that you've really parlayed into this next phase of entrepreneurship? Yeah, raising funds is the most challenging aspect of being a startup. It's, I mean, I don't know how to put it any other way, but it's miserable and it's no fun. Not, not for somebody of my like personality, you know, like there's, it's, it's just painful to raise funds. And um, so having that experience, uh, we raised about $4 million um, in Houston and, you know, having to go out, had no network, knew nobody and start from ground zero and figure out how are we going to raise the funds and, you know, create this private equity fund was, um, it was the found like definitely a foundation for me in regards to learning how to talk to people, how to make a value proposition that's meaningful. Um, I think really that's, that's the key is anytime you're going to somebody, if you don't know, um, how to speak in terms of value and why this matters to them, then, you, you know, you're never really getting anywhere. And that's, I think that's the first step as any entrepreneur startup is figuring out that process and getting good at it. Certainly. Uh, you mentioned a key skill of being an entrepreneur and running a company is being able to build teams effectively. Uh, how have you been able to do that at Uplift? Yeah, the, the, um, the success of any startup is dependent on your ability to see people who are um, effective, basically. So if you hire somebody who is not doing their job, it will kill your startup. There's no other way around it. Uh, you know, you have to be scrappy. You have no money. And um, if you have somebody who says they're going to do a job and you pay them for that and they don't do it, that's the end of it, really. Um, and so identifying um, and being very uh, selective was a big, big learning curve for me. You know, like you never, ever go after the first person you talk to or the first three, you know, like you, I, I say like pretty much always have at least 10 candidates. Um, and the, the reason being is, Though it takes a little more time, you end up with somebody who not only helps you do what you're wanting to do, but is skilled enough to see opportunities that you would never expect or you know, be able to take you into uh, new areas that maybe you never would have been able to otherwise. No, I, I love that you brought that up. Um, I actually just had a conversation right before this with another startup I'm invested in, and they're getting ready to kind of inner growth phase and, and they're scaling up and looking at, okay, what is it going to take to, to stop a team, et cetera. And we had that exact same conversation of if you're, your first hires have to be incredibly stellar that you can't make mistakes with those first hires because they have to be able to showcase their value and do what you need them to do because that money that you have when you get funding is so precious. So yeah, yeah the, the culture that you build is so critical to the success of the organization that you operate. Yeah, it either will make uh, your life much easier or make it basically a living hell if you <laughs> hire the wrong person, whether it's because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing or you don't get along with them or, you know, there's a host of things you sort of have to consider when hiring. But um, fortunately, we have a really 
great team at Uplift. Um, something that I pride everyone on is the culture we have and what we've built. And you know, it's, it's a sacrifice and giving um, of conflict, you know, being able to go through conflicts in a healthy way and grow from it. And, you know, the idea that, again, you, you always have problems, but as a team, how do you approach a problem? How do you solve a problem and get, you know, the best result from that? And that's a hard, really hard thing to do. Absolutely. It sure is. Um, I've failed many times at that. Like, I, I think that's something that's important to always be transparent about is when you have this chance to speak in any type of public setting, like, um, failure is so common as a startup or as a business person in life. That's like, that's just something I, I think like I want to make sure I, I stand for personally is making sure like I'm not misrepresenting myself because I feel like that can be discouraging to other people when they hear, hear you speak is they think, oh man, like they're always doing it right. And my guess is 99% of people out there, we only see a small portion of um, what they're doing right. And the, the, the rest curated. of yeah, yeah, the curated part. So the rest mm -hmm. of it is, is painful, but that's just, yep. yeah, it's part of the journey. Well, and being transparent about those challenges is critical for learning. If it's all sunshine and roses, how then can you really prove your mettle and your ability to overcome when things actually are challenging and hard? You can't. Um, Josh, then least favorite day. Least favorite day. Mm -hmm. Biggest, uh, biggest challenge, biggest problem, least favorite day. Least favorite day. I mean, there's so many least favorite days as an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, top but, one that stands out. I'll, I'll talk about um, what I have learned from least favorite days is um, that you, I, I think we are trained in school to never allow room for failure. Like failure is bad. You know, if I don't get an A on this, that is bad. Um, as a startup, you are doing something that has never been done before, most likely. And you, you have to change your mindset. You, uh, um, as somebody that's approaching something and trying to do something that's never been done before, you don't know the answer. In school, you grow up and people know the answer. There's somebody out there who knows the answer. Um, there is an answer, you know, a solution key that, <laughs> that, that tells you how everything is done. Um, as an entrepreneur, that doesn't exist. Nobody's done it before and you are going to fail. You know, it's, it would be, it's, it's, um, it's basically impossible not to fail because you're doing something that's never been done. You learn and, and you use that word. And I love it is, um, it's a learning process and that's, that's how you have to approach it as you, um, you have the opportunity to do something that no one's ever done before. And you are going to learn your way into what the answer is to do that. And that sometimes can happen quickly and sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes you never actually figure it out. And 
you, you have to go at it with that expectation so that on those worst days, you can still wake up the next day and get out of bed because you probably won't want to, you know, like that's the reality of an entrepreneur is, is on your worst days, you just want to lay on the ground in a ball with, a, you know, like a cozy blanket and um, just not, not pay attention to what's going on. But um, I think your worst days teach you though, that that idea is that you are, you are going after what other people consider impossible and you will fail and um, and that's okay. I, I love that. And I also love what you just said about you're doing something no one's done before. So there is no one else who has the answer because we go through life thinking that there is an answer for what it is that we're seeking, what we're doing. If I just do this, this, and this, I'll get the right answer. And, the, and you might not. Right. Because that might not be what is meant to come to fruition. But how much have you learned? How much have you grown? How much has that process strengthened you towards what then you are meant to do and pursue and achieve? It's it's definitely it's a process. And I know that there's people out there who say if you can't enjoy that process, you certainly aren't going to enjoy the end result. Right. You have to enjoy the, the, the experience of your life as you're living it and you're going through that pursuit of that goal rather than just the goal. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's a great point. Is, um, I think what I'm learning is that there is no end result either. Um, we, we get through um, a portion or a leg of our journey and that opens up a door to the next portion. Uh, and so it's, it's, we, we have to learn how to enjoy it. We have to learn to enjoy that process. It's, I, it's painful, but I think, um, that's really the, um, the realization there is whether it's in business, uh, relationships, family and friends, uh, whatever it is in life, that is something that exists is that, um, the, the idea is that we're approaching something that either we don't know or has never been done before. And so um, we will make mistakes and learning how to enjoy that process is really one of the keys, I guess, to, to living joyfully, which, which I, I'm working on too. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't enjoy things not working out. I still have days where I grow up in a ball. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, we all do. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So then on the flip side of that though, most joyful day or most exciting outcome that you're really proud of. Cause I do think it's, it's important to, to celebrate the wins and to, to grieve those losses. Yeah, we, um, so we speaking to maybe losses and wins. So recently we had, we got to go as a team to Sydney, Australia, and uh, sort of premiere and demo our virtual astronaut training for students there. We, we worked with the New South Wales School District and um, a crazy amount of work, basically two years of work went into that point. And either things could have turned out well or not. And um, they turned out perfectly. And that was so, nice because things never turned out perfectly like i'm so used to things going wrong and have to problem solving and figuring out how to make them right and 
So to, to have something um, as powerful as letting students step into the boots of an astronaut and learn about critical thinking, learn about STEM disciplines and be inspired by that, uh, that was so rewarding on, you know, on its own. But as a team, you put so much work behind something and have it work out. It was a, a day of celebration afterwards where we got to all congratulate each other and high five and hug and have emotions of gratitude. So it was great. But I will say um, that was preceded by many of the worst days where we had created programs that either failed that we had to pivot from or created programs that didn't work out as well or invested money into different research and development that, you know, didn't turn out or developers fell through. Now, there's so much behind the scenes of that one day of success um, was preceded by a year plus of challenge and problem solving and pain that, that people don't see. So that's, I guess that's uh, an answer to both your questions is we had about a year of bad days that led to a great result. Mm -hmm. And that's often how it goes, but you wouldn't have gotten that great result without those bad days that taught a lot and you learned a lot from. So I, I remember us having lunch before you went to Australia and that was pretty exciting of like, okay, we're going, that's what we're doing but also kind of nervous about just what is it going to result in? So the fact that it all came together so well and opens up so much future potential is, is so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think that there is, um, there's also the question of why, like, why do you go through 365 days of challenge? Um, and it goes back to what we we're talking about before is um, one is we have to change our expectations that 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 is life. Like, I don't know if the idea of having 365 days of, of no problems exists for anybody anywhere. Like I, I think maybe, maybe Kelsey, you have a secret answer that I don't know, but I think a lot of what we do daily, is a challenge and um yeah it's really trying to reframe our mind to to be able to maybe not be joyful in challenge or you know love it like oh yes this didn't work out I'm so happy but um being able to be joyful and and enjoy problem solving i think that's definitely possible um to enjoy challenge like approach challenges in a way that we know it's going to improve us i think you were talking about this a little bit earlier you said it well but the idea is that the real end result is us learning and realizing how much we've grown um, skills we've gotten better at the relationships we've formed uh, and how that has improved our life so yeah, there's there's no magic secret for dealing with difficult times. 
at all. I mean, they're, they're painful and they'll come at you from all different directions and all different ways. You'll think you've learned how to handle one thing and then something will come careening into you from another direction. You're like, well, wasn't prepared for how that was going to hit me. Uh, but what I can say is I know I've really worked to get better at the thought process of what am I learning from this? What is this teaching me? What is this here for? Why is this unique? pain point being presented to me, whatever it might be, as hard as it may be, what am I supposed to glean from it? And what can I take from it and learn from it that helps me evolve so that then I'm more prepared to take on whatever else is coming? That's been really the the biggest reframe that I've been able to to come to terms with that really does help in the immediacy of the pain and suffering that presents itself. Yeah. And I I, want to add, um, because I know that a lot of the audience that listens to your podcast or consultants. And um, I think the the value also or the tool that's available in those situations. So though a key does not exist, you have consultants and advisors. Um, and that is one of the most valuable resources you have when you're approaching a problem that you don't know how to solve. Because though somebody may not have a, solved that exact problem, they may have solved a similar problem. And so being able to have good advisors and good consultants who have solved similar problems um, is invaluable. And though there's a key though, is you want advisors and consultants who have solved similar problems. Um, you like, it's easy. Uh, I, I guess what I found is most great advisors that you meet in your life or mentors they never approach you you find them because you research um, and you do a lot of work to find a good mentor or an advisor um, a lot of time you're approached by different people who will say oh yeah I'm like I can help you with this but when you dig into their background they don't actually have a great background in that that area so it's not that useful but um, having mentors, advisors, consultants who are experts in the, the field of the problem you're trying to solve is, uh, yeah, there's there's no greater value, I think, as a startup and entrepreneur, just in general in life. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I, um, I just finished the book, Hidden Potential by Adam Grant, and he talks a lot about scaffolding and the ability to meet and reach your potential is really based on your ability to build great scaffolds around yourself. So while you're not yet where you want to be, you've got the support structure and framework around you uh, so that you can actually achieve what it is that you're seeking. Um, I love that mentality because as an entrepreneur, oftentimes you're alone, you're isolated. There's not always others out there who completely and uniquely know what you're going through. They might have similar experiences. They might be able to lend, you know, an ear, but they don't know your unique specific challenges. They're not in your business. And as the founder, there's no one that you can specifically talk to in your business that is going to understand. And that is not someone who works for you. And so that makes it really challenging of, okay, where do I go? Who do I turn to? As a result, you've built a collective then of advisors that you turn to and that you work with. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, I think that's one of the critical components to, to success is your network, your advisors, your mentors. Um, like I, anytime I meet with students, that's always what I talk about is start building your network now. Your network is the, the value uh, basically of, of your life is the people you know, your advisors and mentors. Uh, because they're the ones that when you have that problem that you don't know how to solve, they may have a similar experience to help you along that path that will help you avoid the, a lot of the challenges or failures that you would, you would encounter otherwise. They also can help you keep and stay motivated, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're having one of those days and you're down and, you know, being able to just get and glean some perspective from somebody else can really can make that that difference for sure. Yeah. Um, Josh, how do you balance what it is that you're pursuing and your audacious goals with needing to also stay in the present and remain healthy and able to pursue those goals? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, um, continual challenge of life is, is the idea of balance. Um, I don't know if I have a great answer to that, but I will say I've been working very hard on it. Um, and this actually, Kelsey came from one of our meetings like a year and a half ago too, is I remember we were talking about like just general health and balance. And um, I was inspired by a lot of what you were doing at the time. Um, and you know what, you have a very high focus on, I'd say mental health, physical health, and making sure you know, you're maintaining good relationships. And so at that time, um, I had also read Atomic Habits. So I started exercising for like 10 minutes twice a week. That was it. But um, the value of that is um, you start to build the habits that you need. And, and a lot of that, I think, and this is more of a discussion, I guess, in the habits, but um, I guess that really is balance too, is is our, our balance in life is a formation of the habits that we've formed. So um, we, we will go through times in life where we have to work like crazy, but that doesn't mean we have to sacrifice everything else. Um, we will form habits that either help us um, work like crazy and still maintain relationships and still be healthy. I've learned that that is possible. Um, it doesn't mean that you're balanced, but it is possible to still put time into the things that you need to put time into. So yeah, like this last year, um, I have never been successful at staying active pretty much like since I was in high school, <laughs> you know, like, after that, like it was college, focused study, work like crazy. Um, I have two kids now. Um, you know, you have family responsibilities, so it's still the same, work like crazy. And so there's just, just so much. Um, but I think the idea of being willing to, to focus and start forming good habits was a big key for me. So this last year, I have now basically almost a full year now I have been exercising. 
So I went from 10 minutes twice a week to, um, and this is not like, I'm not going to the gym or anything, but I started running a little bit. Um, I, you know, started exercising at home. I got weights at home, pull up bars now, you know, like just stuff to where I can at night, 10 o'clock hits, and I can put like a half an hour into exercising a few times a week. So that's what I'm at, and that's it. But I'm so happy with awesome. it. Awesome. Well, and those little incremental changes, I call them subtle shifts, but they, they add up. They truly do make a difference over time. Maybe in the immediacy of just like day one, they don't feel like a lot, but over time they completely change your trajectory. I mean, to use a space analogy, if you were off by just a little bit in calculations, what kind of impact could that have? Yeah, exactly. Massive, right. So when you make those just slight alterations, the impact and effects can be profound. So that's awesome. I, I love that you're doing that. Yeah. And uh, it feels good. Uh, yeah, it feels great. The big uh, like revelation for me was don't set hard goals. <laughs> I know that sounds weird because everybody's like, oh, yeah, set you know, shoot for the stars, but there's certain things where I cannot shoot for the stars for. I, I do in some areas of my life, uh, but I can't in other areas. And I have to be okay with that because I only have so much time. And so what I've done with those areas is just set really basic goals that I know I can achieve. I know I can work out for 10 minutes twice a week. I can do that. And the nice yeah. thing about that is once you start, you just like innately, uh, and I think a lot of people are like this, you want to do more because it feels great. Um, and it's the same thing in your relationships. So it's if you have bad relationships, um, don't set a crazy goal like, oh, I'm going to start calling everybody or writing birthday, like happy birthdays or personal messages. Just start super small. Say like 10 minutes twice a week, I'm going to do this and connect it with something you already do. I go to bed every night. So it's super easy for me to remember before I get into bed, I have to at least twice a week work out for 10 minutes. And now, I mean, now I do a lot more, but it's because I've formed good habits around it. It's something that's become really ingrained mentally. Um, I, you know, I found more benefits from it, from being more energetic, being happier, just feeling good. Um, it's become something that's fun for me. So I'm motivated in that. Like, um, I started trail running, which was crazy. It's like, don't ever do that, but I enjoy it. It's like, <laughs> I don't do it a whole lot, but you know, there's something rewarding about when you have like a Sunday afternoon doing something really hard and exercise and challenging that just kicks your butt. So. Well, Park City and Salt Lake are a great backdrop for any type of outdoor activity. I mean, just being able to spend time in the mountains is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and, and I want like, again, like expectations for other people. I've failed at this my whole life. My whole life has been a series of not actually successfully being active for more than like three weeks because something always gets in the way. I get sick, my schedule changes or whatever. And that's why I say don't set hard goals is because no matter what my schedule is, I can hit that basic goal of 10 minutes twice a week. Yep. I, Josh, I love that because in reality, I don't think there is such a thing as balance. I believe in 
everything in moderation, including moderation. And that balance is your ability to understand that there is times when you have to give way more to certain things than others. And then you'll be able to pick those things up when you're able to. And sometimes that's exercise. Sometimes that's a pursuit of hobbies and interests. Sometimes that's relationships. Sometimes that's work. And it's a give and a take across the board. But if you're putting enough in, in all of those areas so that you're continuing to bring them all kind of towards where you want them to be, that's really the balance, but it's, it's never all equal at the same time. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm notorious for, you know, putting all of my effort into the, the work bucket and then physical activity and some interest, but like my relationships, for example, I, I don't have a lot of time to put into that. And, you know, and then, okay. Some people from the outside would say, Oh, well, that's unbalanced. But from my perspective, it's like, well, but that works for me. So my things are in, in balance. Yeah. Um, I, I I love that the, the incremental progression towards goals that are not firm, hard, or lofty. Uh, I think that that's aspirational as well because there's so much rhetoric out there around setting super clear, explicit, challenging goals. But and I've done that in the past. When I don't meet them, then that's really depressing. Despite best efforts to the contrary. Instead, I've taken the approach of, you know, I'm going to put out desires and directions of, I would like more of this in my life. I would like less of this in my life. I would like for things to go in this direction. And then I'm going to hold myself accountable for just, as you said, okay, I'm going to get this, this, and this done, because those are the things I know I can commit to that I won't let myself down on. But when I Try, I've tried in the past to be super explicit around pretty unrealistic <laughs> expectations of myself. Inevitably, that doesn't come to fruition. And instead, I've just set myself up to be really disappointed. So I am with you on the perspective of set reasonable expectations for yourself that will feel good that you can actually achieve and then go from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's uh, and. And I think, uh, it, you know, like my expectation was just health. I want to be more healthy. So when I do exercise, I'm stoked about it. Like, oh, sweet. I am more healthy. That's great. <laughs> you know? So it, it was just such such a low goal. They, I will say a much harder one, and you mentioned this, is relationships. So um, with a family, like how, because family is not one of those things that you can't um have a low like low goal for I can't be like yeah I'll spend 10 minutes twice a week with my family <laughs> I don't want to do that personally um so I I love the idea of like creating um people say generational wealth and I don't know if you've heard this but like having a generational wealthy uh family but within regards to relationship so um, creating a family that is strong, that's kind, full of love, that has um, that is a healthy family, and um, that is something that's hard to to balance if you have you are shooting for the stars in some areas of your life, and a lot of startups that's what it takes. But um, I think the key there is being um, you know being in relationships where you are very clear with expectations. So you have very, very open dialogue. Um, 
and this probably isn't just true in family, but like in gen general relationships is uh, expectation. So, you know, I, my wife and I have talked about what days does she know that I can just work and, you know, work for as long as I want, that I can just be completely focused and that way she has those expectations. And then there's other days of the week where I've committed, like I will be home at this time and this is every week. So it's made it much uh, easier for us as a family where, um, you know, we, we all know what to expect. We have uh, clear commitments and promises and sticking to those. So um, that that's helped us incredibly uh, over the last two years, I would say we implemented about two years ago, and that was a big, uh, big boost to removing conflict was having really clear expectations, um, being realistic, like a startup is hard and you have to work a ton, uh, running companies hard, you have to work a ton, but being there when you commit to being there and working out basically, uh, a system that works for your relationship because it'd be different for everybody. Well, and that clarity of expectation setting, I think that, that if people do that well, that removes so many of the conflicts and the, the strife that oftentimes occurs. So I, I love that that's something that you've been you've been able to implement and that that's that's worked well, because it is a give and take. I mean, if you're, you're you're starting a company, it takes a lot. It does. But balancing that with family and loved ones and people that you want to be able to spend time with is, is also critical. So that's a, a really neat um, way that you found to find harmony across the two. Josh, what other advice or lessons would you want to impart or share just from your experiences to date? My experiences to date. Um, great question. I think we've covered a lot of, the honestly, like our conversation has sort of moved into the areas that I'm really passionate about. Um, I think fun things that you and I have talked about, like we could get into those like AI and where humanity is heading, but I'm not sure that's appropriate for this, but it is. <laughs> I mean, um, that can be part two. <laughs> part two. Yeah. Yeah. But there, there's, um, with regards to, you know, maybe what what's going on now and some of the keys to success is um, there is value in in um, being open to change. So don't don't be afraid if things aren't working to pivot. Uh, I I don't know of any startup really that doesn't pivot like continuously. So ha having that understanding that um, you're problem solving, things are always going to be changing, shifting. Where you start and where you end up will look completely different, most likely, um, and that that's okay. Um, so I think I think that covers my uh, my thoughts. Happy to to jump into anything in depth, but yeah. Awesome. Josh, if people want to engage with Uplift, learn more, become an astronaut, how can they engage? So our website's a great place to start. Um, we do have a community, sort of like a commercial um, 
space program community of enthusiasts. Uh, that's, I mean, that's not for everybody. So I'll throw it out there though, but yeah, you can join that. Um, a lot of our work right now is on, on education. So that's a big market we're moving into. So we, we're definitely looking for schools interested in running um, these commercial astronaut training experiences for students. We, we're targeting middle school to high school. So any connections here, we're, we're in Australia and the US now, looking at other countries. Um, the, the basic behind it though is we'll work with school districts or schools directly. Um, and then we're, we're also working out like a program where basically anybody can sign up at any time. So a lot, a lot of work around that, um, but the goals being teaching critical thinking and helping students perform um, performance in STEM. I would have loved that in middle school. That would have just been the coolest experience. We didn't have anything immersive like that at the time. That would have been really neat. I'm that's envious the, of kids. That's the fun part about where we are today is technology is enhancing and supplementing uh, education in really powerful, unique ways. Like what we're doing, it's great because uh, you talk to a kid and you show them it and they love it. And like their answer is like, well, you know, like it's different. And um, that, I mean, that's, that's true. Is like just being able to teach students in a little bit of a different way um, helps engage and immerse them and get them excited. Uh, I, I think what we're doing is really, really fun too. Like being able to step in the boots of an astronaut, um, go on a journey as an astronaut, as an, you know, this astronaut in training build rovers, code, build drones, and send them out to find things on different planets. So there's the, the cool thing of an astronaut is uh, you look at their time like on the International Space Station, and they use so many different um, disciplines in STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and math, that their day is full of all these different skills they've had to develop. And I think that's what makes this opportunity for students fun is, they get to use um, their critical thinking to figure out like, how can I take chemistry subjects and mix them with engineering to solve this problem that I, I have right now? Like, how do I build a rover to go find ice, use electrolysis to break ice down into hydrogen and oxygen so that I can keep breathing and support my life support systems? Like those, <laughs> those are things that we get to do with students and it's fun. But um, we do it in a way where we call it sneaky learning, where they don't actually know that they're they're doing that. It's just you know, it's part of a narrative. It's fun, engaging, super immersive. Um, so yeah, we're we're excited about it. I could talk about that one long time. I'll stop. It, it's awesome. I mean, uh, we had Mavis Beacon teaches typing, which I will credit that as being why I can type well today. And um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I really liked that game oh, yeah. too. But yeah. but and we were learning history with that as well. But I mean, maybe Oregon Trail. Okay, yeah. So we had we had some immersive stuff, but just not not to the degree of having to figure out my life support strategy. Yeah, <laughs> like awesome. you know, I grew up with when they very first started bringing the super colorful IMAX to schools. Um, yep. and. That was so exciting as a student, but that also, you know, that was why as like 
a 10 year old, I could show my parents how to use a printer. Um, the opportunity now is you're going to start seeing virtual reality introduced into school labs. Um, I think you'll, you'll see Apple and Meta doing a big push into teaching students how to use this next new technology. And I personally think you'll, we'll, we'll see a very similar type of revolution in how virtual and mixed reality is used. I love mixed reality like that is, uh, I think the path forward definitely um, with regards to how it will be integrated into society in many, many different markets. So it is exciting to, to see how that technology will be used to help students become better learners, how to improve um, different learning systems, supplement learning. Uh, I think there's teacher uh, learning is critical. You know, having people there and human interaction is critical, but using technology to supplement that is such a powerful tool. Absolutely, completely agree. Well, Josh, thank you so much for making time to chat today. This was fun. Nice to get to see you digitally. Uh, yep. I'll let you know when I'm in part three soon. Um, but thank you for imparting all of your lessons learned and experiences. I think everyone who listens to this will agree that, I mean, your career and your mission are really inspiring and exciting and different. And it's it's fun to just get to, to be a part of it. So thank you for being on the podcast. Have a great week and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Same. Thank you, Kelsey. Great to chat. <laughs> And that's a wrap on this episode of the Consultants Council. Thank you so much for your interest and engagement. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about by writing into info at theconsultantscouncil.com. Thanks to Kelsey Consulting for sponsoring this podcast and to Class Act Media for the media support. And with that, cheers and all my best. Have a great week. And remember, what's possible? Do more.